to Five Blossom Radio with your host, Denise Richard. Five Blossom Empowerment is based on an unusual model for growth, combining elements of the arts, health, and spirituality. Now, here is Denise Richard. Welcoming you today to our podcast, Five Blossom Radio. We have a, a wonderful topic today, the the this, the listening with our feet, uh, a walking pilgrimage through the missingness with Lindy Peel. And Five Blossoms is uh, honored. It's introducing Lindy today, who's an author, an editor, and storyteller. So uh, Lindy's going to open our talk um, by speaking a little bit about the concept of what she's speaking of, missingness, and how pervasive or overwhelming that this can be um, during the time of transition. She's going to talk also about a very special pilgrimage that she did through the Camino and uh, speak of the process of that. So I'm welcoming you today. Lindy, are you there? I am. Thank you very much for having hello, me. Hello, hello. Nice to have you here. Um, I'd love for you to help us uh, open up the topic with maybe a little bit of information about, uh, for instance, you're you're talking about missingness, and uh, it's I've never heard the term. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and where do you come in with with this missingness? Thank you. Thanks, Denise. Um, yes, it's an interesting concept, and I guess it is the reason for me doing the pilgrimage it was this whole thing of waking up one morning and realizing that the things I had planned for my life hadn't seemed to happen Um, and I'm not complaining I've had really many wonderful things happen and I had this family and children and a husband and um, I just realized that they felt like it there was something missing and I couldn't figure out what it was and how to even go about starting to look for it. And I actually came across this term, I think it's a, a Portuguese term called saudade. And I only found this after I got back from my pilgrimage, but it translates as the presence of absence, mm. which is probably exactly what I was feeling. It was this, you know, that life that I hadn't lived, that I had planned on living, but I hadn't really didn't really have a picture of it in my head so it was missing something but I had no idea what it was that was missing Um, and having gone on this pilgrimage I ended up bumping into people and other pilgrims along the way and it seemed like a common theme Mm -hmm. that we were being pilgrims we were doing this walk because of a common kind of missingness that we were feeling um not knowing what we were missing, but mm-hmm. knowing there was something out there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's an unusual way of explaining that. I'm going to ask you a question because the the use of the word pilgrimage is um, rather uncommon now. It used to be uh, this was a common common event. Uh, once before, we used to uh, be able to see. Uh, and know that uh, we would respect those who are pilgrims on their journey. And to use the word pilgrim or pilgrimage and the word missingness uh, is is delicate. And I, I enjoy I enjoy hearing of it, but I even more enjoy the uh, the the sense of it opens up a, a discussion for us today about what is it 
that brings us to uh, do a pilgrimage or open to a pilgrimage. Now, you spoke very, very carefully about something is missing, and that in the um, in a way that you're being taught that it's uh, there, there's missingness and there's absence and there's so let's. I'd like for you to just tell me a bit about the word pilgrimage. Like, what what brought you to decide that? Like, I, I hear a little bit, but can you tell us a little bit more? Yeah. Um, I went to Catholic school, and <laughs> um, <laughs> there was a lot of talk of penance. And um, the pilgrimage, I read the Canterbury Tales, I think, probably as a 15 or 16-year-old. And that was at Catholic school, and we were... You know, there are a number of pilgrimages that we were, were taught about where you would walk um, as an act of penance for sins committed, um, but also in search of something bigger. And obviously at Catholic school, that something bigger was God. Um, and it was trying to connect with a bigger faith, something larger than yourself, while seeking forgiveness for things that we have done. And... Uh, that is a big concept, and that was a very um, a tricky part for me to navigate, both doing the pilgrimage and then subsequently writing the book about the pilgrimage, was what is it um, that I'm seeking? What is my faith? What do mm-hmm. I believe in? Mm-hmm. Um, what is it that I'm walking towards? Because a pilgrimage is both a walking towards, but also a walking away. So we're leaving things behind. We're leaving mm-hmm. behind our regrets, our mistakes, Um Things mm-hmm. that we perhaps are not that proud of. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've got this walking towards, walking away. But then again, ultimately at the end of it, you complete the pilgrimage and you have to go back to real life. Mm-hmm. So how do we then incorporate both what we have gained and what we have lost into so, our lives again? You did this pilgrimage uh, on a very popular uh, journey uh, called the Camino de Santiago de Compostela. Would you tell us a little bit about mm-hmm. why did you choose that? Is there, you know, what was it there that appealed yeah. to you? And um, a little bit more about that journey. Yeah, it was actually n- not really intentional. My husband and I had watched a movie on Netflix called The Way um, just shortly before I even started thinking about perhaps being able to do a pilgrimage. And um, it's it's a really interesting little movie. It's directed by Emilio Estevez and his father, Martin Sheen, is in it. And in it, he plays the role, I think, of a doctor who his adult son was walking the Camino and dies on the Camino. So he goes back to collect his body, but in fact, ends up walking the whole Camino with his son's ashes. And along the route, he meets pilgrims. And it was, it gave me a lot to think about in terms of He wanted to do the journey, but he didn't want to do the journey. Um, Mm -hmm. And the people he met that he both had these incredible conversations with, but didn't want to be walking with. So all the challenges, but all the rewards that came from it. I decided on, there are many different routes on the Camino. Um, The main route is called the Camino Francais. And that was, in fact, the route um, of the movie, of the way. And then when I started looking at it, I realized that walking alone was something that was really important to me and so I chose the northern route which is um, Del Norte which is the other reason I chose it was because it's on the coast 
And um, I believed that the Camino Francais is really hot. So I wanted a coastal route both for the weather and the beauty, but also it's apparently a less popular route. Mm-hmm. So I thought there would be fewer people and fewer distractions because I think there's the Camino has become, as you say, really popular. And I thought there was this very strong possibility that I would fall into the, the, the sort of the tourist trap mm-hmm. if there were a lot of people. And I wanted to really walk mindfully and and hopefully alone. Well, of course, that doesn't happen because anything mm-hmm. I planned didn't manifest. And I did, for the first 10 days, end up meeting and walking with a group of pilgrims. And at the end of the 10 days, I changed routes again and I took a bus and I joined the Camino Primitivo, which is, in fact, the very first pilgrim route that existed and there I did walk on my own. Um, it, it is a very primitive route, and I got really lost on that route. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was sort of how, how it worked out. And so getting lost, that's a big deal. It was really scary. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I had part of, part of doing the pilgrimage was because I'd felt that for so long, I was part of a family, and mm-hmm. I felt that my husband has looked after me. First, my parents looked after me, then my husband looked after me, and like, could I even look after myself? That was part of my journey was, can mm-hmm. I do this on my own? And so after the 10 days of realizing I still wasn't looking after myself, and I, I changed routes, and the very first day, it should have been an easy walk. Um, and there are the way the Camino works is that the sort of the Camino icon, the symbol is a little scallop shell. And you look for the shell. Sometimes it's on a tree, sometimes it's on the ground, sometimes it's painted on a wall. And that will tell you that you're going in the right direction. But I didn't realize that on different parts of the Camino, the direction you follow, sometimes you follow sort of the the, the rays that are going out from the body of the shell. And that's, you walk in the direction of the rays but on other parts of the Camino, like in Galicia, where I had moved to, you will follow the body of the sun. So oh you're walking the opposite way. But, of course, I had paid no attention to that. So it turned out I was following the wrong rules, which is also <laughs> a common theme of my life. <laughs> um, and oh, I oh up, joy. <laughs> no, and I ended up on this mountain with there was nothing. Uh, there were no people. There were uh, for probably fourteen hours. I was completely lost. Wow! Um, and that so you, was, that's a big that's a big moment of you got to be with yourself. You really got to be yeah. with yourself. Yeah, I, I really did. <laughs> <laughs> so the 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 coming up to the mountain and finding yourself uh, alone and. Uh, only with you, and you, you. In our discussions together, you opened a few disc, dis, you know, uh, moments of revealing the importance of, of that, of being alone and with that greater power, and that um, your feet on the ground uh, became part of the, the the power that you're looking to secure you. So, can you tell us a little bit about the title of listening with your feet? How, yeah, uh, I'll just almost, it, it can almost link up to being on that mountain. Um, so it should honestly, it was probably a 20 kilometer walk 
from the point where I had started, which was in a place called Lugo, to the albergue, which is the, the sort of the pilgrim accommodation where you sleep in San Romain. And I knew it should have taken me no longer than two hours. And it was, you know, 12 hours sitting on the top of the mountain and seeing nothing and nobody. There was not an animal. I couldn't see rooftops. And I thought, I and I, I looked down, I'd, I'd only had half a bottle of water. And on that road, a wild dog, I assumed a wild dog, had tried to jump at me and had bitten into my backpack and I'd thrown my water bottle at the dog and he'd run away and I'd run up the hill. So I had no water and, and no food and I looked down at my legs and my skin was so dehydrated it was sort of hanging down across my kneecaps. And I, I honestly thought there's no way I'm going to get off this mountain. And I just sort of stopped thinking, I guess, and looked down at my feet and I just thought, that's it, I'm just going to run. And my feet did all the running out my head. It stopped thinking. It actually felt like there were bees buzzing in my head. And I knew that I couldn't remember which way I'd come up, so my feet had to do it. And it was like this connection of my feet just going. And, that's beautiful. And knowing where to go without me being involved at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and they ran and ran and ran and eventually and it was almost dark at this point and I still had no idea where I was going and as I got to the bottom of the hill I saw a fountain and that was the first thing that I could find I finally had water so it was one of those old stone fountains where mm-hmm. I sort of caught it and just I didn't know whether the water was fine, but I needed water. And I just mm-hmm. lay on my back and looked up at the stars that were starting to come. And when I sort of rolled my head to one side, I saw the Camino shell, which I hadn't seen in 12 hours. Wow. So That's, that's quite a beautiful story. In my work, I often um, uh, talk about traditions uh, that are really strong with teaching how um, the importance of our feet and the connection of our feet to the earth and 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 even just gently practicing uh, basic ways of walking. I know it sounds strange to talk about that because we don't you don't see much of it, but a lot of the training um, in being connected and reconnecting on a daily basis offers um, the basic, um, let's say the blueprint, the, the the reconnection with our, you know, who we were. Imagine when we're just little babies and we're learning to walk, and and the power of that, and the the importance of that, and coming back to that, you know, that 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 clean self, that pure self, and uh, in in complete intuition through complete intuition, but also right into devotion and honoring what we've been given. So I appreciate um, that you're talking about uh, your spiritual grounding, really, and the the care that uh, that you had to take in bringing yourself back to us, back to the <laughs> back to the Camino. So you, you you've spent quite a bit of time in silence then. Yes. Silence silence is something I think in the real life I've had a hard time with. I think we try to fill the silences, or I certainly do. And the silence was something really beautiful um, along the Camino. Even when I was walking with groups of people, there was this understanding of the importance of silence. And we would, you could have groups of eight or ten at any one time walking to a particular 
um, albergue and we would not have known one another in the morning and there would be conversations and then suddenly you would just hear footsteps on the dirt and there would be silence and it was never uncomfortable which was really new for me because you'd have eight or ten people all walking and nobody would have the need to speak Um, and you would feel so connected in that and it was also really interesting to me because part of me going on the Camino was to find, I felt like I had this big life that I was missing, that my life was so little here and mm-hmm. so unimportant and I wanted to have this important life. And so walking made me feel like, it made my life feel both even smaller, but by connecting in that silence to the earth, it gave me this new connection to something so much bigger than myself that even in feeling so small, my life gained so much more meaning by being connected to the earth through the silence, mm-hmm. um, which seems really weird. I keep thinking of that pale blue dot, um, mm-hmm. the picture of the earth that um, Carl Sagan talks about it. It was taken from some um, spaceship and it shows the earth as this little blue dot floating through the solar system and you realize how small and insignificant you are in comparison to the rest of the universe, but it still gives you a kind of power knowing that you're connected to that bigness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, in talking about pilgrimage, my sense is you're talking about uh, something that's designed um, through awareness to, as you mentioned, to connect with something bigger than us, the greater envelope, something that uh, requires that we give in a certain way. And I'm, I was thinking about what you're saying about um, the silence and uh, how the silence gives to us something uh, a little bit, like we, we hear a little bit better, hear a little bit more, or we're, we're more in tune to, to, to listening. Uh, I'd love to know a little bit about the giving. What did you have to give to the journey? Would how would you how would you describe that giving to the journey? Well, well, it's interesting because when you when I first hear what it, what did I give? It almost initially when I went off on the pilgrimage, it seemed like a really selfish thing to do. It seemed like I was just you know taking time out of real life and leaving behind my family. And it seemed like they were the ones giving and I was just, you know, off and, you know, having this fun time and and completely not thinking about anybody else. But what was really interesting was I took along with me all those ideas and I think what I had to give up was my attachment to so many of my ideas about how who I am and who my family is and the stories I've been telling about myself. And I actually took along um, two little rocks, a white rock and a black rock, and I put them in my backpack. And my my backpack was purple and I called it Petunia just because it felt like I needed a companion. So I had these two little rocks in Petunia, a black and a white one. And in my head, I had the stories attached to each. And um, I'm, I'm not sure if you know the story of the white and the black wolf. There's this beautiful story of, of the grandfather who's telling his grandson that inside of us there is a white and a black wolf and they're at war all the time. You know, the one is trying to outdo the other and the, the, the little boy says to his grandfather, well, 
you know, which one wins? And the grandfather says, well, the one you feed. So, of course, in my head, I'm, I heard the story years ago, and in my head, you feed the white wolf. That's what we've been taught. You feed the good. You, you know, you feed all the positive things, and you try and not feed the other side. Well, of course, that doesn't work, because not feeding something, as I had learned in midlife, just makes it hungrier and hungrier. So I had the little white and the little black rock, had no idea what I was going to do with them, but I was waiting for this big voice to come beaming down and tell me what to do with my white and my black rock, which of course never happened. Um, so really, I think when to get back to your question, what it is that I gave, I think I had to give up all my stories attached to the white and the black rock and about what is good and what is bad and what is right and wrong and all the ideas I had of what it is to be a good wife and a good mother and a good human being mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. all the rules that I'd been trying to live by and doing terribly by breaking so many of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I had to give up the assumptions I've made about the people in my life as well. Um, that mm. that they are the way they are, but they really aren't. Um, so I had to give up a lot of those stories as well and almost start from scratch with what it is that is going on in the world and in my life and in the people who love me in their lives. That's a lot to give. That's a lot to give. I I appreciate uh, also that you're saying that we're giving up stories and, and we have a tendency to... Um, to look at that at certain point to see what's of value, what isn't of value. You're, you're discerning uh, who is Lindy, who, you know, what is she doing now? And recently you let me know that uh, you compiled uh, a, a book uh, and a new book. And uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? So you, you move out of something and now you're moving into something new. It's been an interesting, I had never intended to write a book about the Camino. I didn't even take um, any pens or paper with me. Um, I didn't have space in my backpack because you carry everything with you for three weeks. So it had never been an intention. And then on the last day when I was in a place called Finisterra, which translated means the end of the world. Um, so once you get to Camino, to this, to actually Santiago, the Compostela, that is technically where the Camino ends, but you can move on to Finisterra, which is the ends of the earth. And there's a lighthouse there. And um, traditionally, people have left things behind. To go back to your previous question again about what do you leave behind? And I had seen air tickets and people leave their shoes behind and all sorts of things that they want to be rid of at the end of their Camino. Um, So, I thought that would be it. I threw my shells into the ocean and then I sat down and I had coffee at a little coffee, a little cafe in Finisterra and I thought I need to write down where I have slept for the last three weeks because I'm going to forget. So I got a piece of paper and a pen and I started writing and that's when I realized I needed to write about this. (laughs) And what has been really interesting in the process of writing is that the story, the facts of the story have never changed, but... Mm -hmm. My story has changed. Mm -hmm. So it's been through seven or eight different drafts before I finally let it out into the world. And each time gave me a new perspective. Mm -hmm. And my new story, even though the story had not changed. 
Um, so yes, it's it's a letting. You know, how do we allow ourselves to be wrong about our stories, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. so we can rewrite some of them? Can you tell our listeners a little bit about uh, the name of your book and how they can um, get connected to that? How they uh, can thank purchase you. Yes. It if they want. Well, it's called the Common Wife, and the. I've chose the word common very specifically because there are two different meanings to the word common. And I've written that in the beginning of the book. It is on Amazon and it's been incredibly exciting because it's still on a number one this morning after two weeks, which has been really, really exciting um, and really lovely to get feedback from people who are also feeling this missingness. And so my mistakes and my angst and my worries I feel it's been so worth it getting having these connections with people connecting with me after having read it so yes it's on Amazon at the moment and it will be in stores from January wonderful wonderful is there are there any other projects that you're working on if you only have a few minutes left here I have been doing writing workshops um, just because the, my writing of my story has been so powerful to me. And mm-hmm. so I started yeah, writing workshops probably a year and a half ago, and I've got a couple more of those coming up in, in the new year. And they can get a hold of you how? That will be on my website. Um, so it's lindyfile, P-F-E-I-L, um, dot com. Thank you. Information is there. Thank you. Thank you, Lindy. And this is Denise Richard. I'm also offering uh, Five Blossom Gatherings is a unique design of a of a program. It has um, oh five different ways of accessing or or opening to um, let's say a greater envelope, a greater connection with yourself. The Five Blossom model is unique, as I said, and it holds ancient uh, ancient teachings. Uh, it also opens to ways of creative empowerment and uh, specialized uh, training in um, in opening, connecting with the feet and with the body and training in Qigong and Tai Chi. So I'm inspired to uh, invite my listeners to come to the website, www.fiveblossomgatherings.com. There's also fiveblossomgatherings.ca, which is another way to access um, the creative part of Five Blossoms. And uh, there's lots of good things on that if you want to take a look. Uh, Coming up soon will be the Flying Crane Qigong. It's a free class given in Vancouver, B.C. And uh, you can get that through eventbrite.ca. So we'll be taking a very brief break and uh, looking forward to talking with Lindy a little bit more in a few minutes. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Five Blossom Gatherings is the website and program from Denise Richard. By visiting fiveblossomgatherings.com, you'll find out more about Denise's professional Tai Chi and Qigong services. Explore her website and view works of art and much more. You can book healing and counseling sessions with Denise. She works with clients who have health interests and concerns. Her programs include knowing your whole body, self-care for your health, and inspiring wholeness. Visit fiveblossomgatherings.com today. Have you become a member yet? 
Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Build a better business. Achieve that goal. Make good on that resolution. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. You are listening to 5 Blossom Radio. Connect with the program today by calling in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to 5BlossomGatherings at gmail.com. Now, back to 5 Blossom Radio. So welcoming you back, this is Denise Richard, and we have our special guest here, Lindy Fio, and opens us to the topic of pilgrimage and journeying. She's touching a very sensitive uh, issue of care and devotion and journeying, as many do. Uh, Lindy, please, I, I really have enjoyed our first uh, opening there. Can you tell us a little bit about... Um, you had you have some great stories. I I remember we talked a little bit. Is there a good story you have for us about the Camino and uh, and and journeying? Oh, got lots of stories. Um, I think to me the one thing I loved about being a pilgrim was being anonymous, and you're meeting people and you're meeting strangers and. You cut straight down to the matters that are like really sitting deeply inside you because you have no, it doesn't matter where people have come from. I don't think one person asked me what work I did on the Camino. You just go straight to those conversations. And I, before I left, I was working with a group of 11 and 12 year old students at a local elementary school. And we talked about pilgrimage and and what the pilgrimage was and what my intention was and um, the day I left they each each of them gave me a handwritten cue card with a question on it and they were anonymous so I didn't know which child had given me which question and every morning there was one for each day of my pilgrimage so every morning I would pick a question and if I was walking with people that day we would talk about the question and we had the most incredible conversations. Firstly, they were blown away by the fact that these were 11 and 12-year-olds. <laughs> um, and they had questions that really made us dig really deeply. But I think my, my one really special moment was for 10 days, I walked with more or less the same five or six people. We would have people who would come and go in between. But the last night... We all knew it would be my last night and I was going to catch the bus at 3 a.m. the next morning to change routes. So we had this big dinner and we'd all made stuff. It was a big kitchen. We were staying in a converted railway station. And I picked the one question. And the question was, um, and all of us actually were walking on our own. We all had spouses or partners that we had left behind, but everybody had come to do the Camino on their own without their partner. So we each picked this, we each looked at the question and I actually have a photo 
<laughs> six hands around the question. And the question was, who would you like to be walking with? And it was such a beautiful question because we were all on our own and we had had these incredible conversations for 10 days and yet it was a question nobody wanted to answer out loud. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was so, you know, this understanding of things we can speak about and things we can't speak about and respecting one another's space to do that. Mm-hmm. So I just have this photo with six hands and the question and I still wonder to myself what would each of their answers have been. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or not being, you know, maybe That's there's, maybe it's just space. Yeah. Maybe there's nobody, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's vast yeah. as a possibility. You don't know. No. It, it takes a lot of courage to, to do these things, to step outside the regular rhythms of your life and to um, leave those you love behind for a moment and uh, connect in with people you've never met. Um, the issue of courage, I think, is one of those that uh, we don't think much about. The courage it takes to grow and change and and to meet ourselves respectfully. Would you be able to maybe speak a little bit about what this journey did in terms of your own development or your own sense of courage? Um, that's a great question. Courage is a big theme in the book just because my thought was why am, am I c- courageous enough to do these things? Am I courageous enough to you know, look, do what Buddha did. Buddha went, he left his family and so did Rumi. You know, they're all these big philosophers and who've made a mark in the world. They walked out of the door, never t- to look back, and that took courage. But it was really interesting because while I think that does take courage, I'm beginning to think that maybe the greater courage is to plant our feet and to actually have the difficult conversations. Mm-hmm. Um because it felt like I was being courageous, but I think at the same time, staying my ground and having conversations with the people who are really important to me, that sometimes takes even more courage. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't, I don't know what the definition, you know, there's so many different definitions of courage and sometimes you think you're being courageous and really Maybe you're just being narcissistic or selfish um, or stupid. Well, that that was my next question is that we we had a good laugh about what was the, um, the, how do you distinguish between courage and stupidity? Um, Would you want to take that one? You want to follow through on that? I'm very pleased it's me you're interviewing and not my husband. (laughs) He would have a very different answer to this. (laughs) Um, Because it's tough when you are so mired with these emotions flying all over the place and I hate to even blame anything like menopause but when you've got hormones and emotions and tears and angst how do you even know how what do you what you're acting from is it courage is it stupidity is it just a desire to be away from everything um Mm -hmm. is it yearning for something that you thought you could never have so Mm -hmm. I, I don't I think I'm only gaining perspective now and I did I did the walk in 2015 and seven drafts later of the book I think I'm only now beginning to see what why I did what I did um so I I don't know that we could ever know I think we have to trust other people as well to let us know whether we are acting out of 
courage or stupidity. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, Because there were certainly many, many things I did just before I went on the pilgrimage that in hindsight were incredibly stupid. But I thought at the time I was being courageous and I was taking risks that other people weren't willing to take and that I would take the consequences. But um, I was just lucky in many of those instances that nothing terrible did happen. But there were some really silly things and really silly decisions I made. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, and it's very hard when you're in the middle of it to know, I think. Well, in our discussion that brought this question forward, the the issue was really that to bring ourselves um, fully to meet our needs, uh, to look at our needs even, to even allow ourselves to need and to face that and experience that and follow through in action, that's a lot. It's a lot to consider uh, as a human being. I mean, I, I know it's it's maybe a silly thing to say, but I, I feel that we, we have to grow with that experience, the experience of doing that as we go through the different stages of our life. And every stage is going to give you like a, you know, a handful of bits and bites. So you don't, things you've, you know, you have to meet up with. So I appreciate that you know you can even say that yeah you know, some of it might have been uh, perhaps less sophisticated or unkind even sometimes to ourselves or to others, but if the intention, if the kindness of heart is there to hold respect in its best way, then maybe a little forgiveness is goes with that as the medicine, right? Yeah. So I'd like to to take that one step further and ask you the question about safety, because. Courage uh, involves a way of relating to ourselves and to the circumstances. And I'm wondering about the sense, I mean, you talked a little bit about, yes, I did get lost. (laughs) And I'm sure that that was not your safest moment. But the sense of safety that we gain or that you claimed through this, can you speak a bit to that? It's such an interesting question and something that just popped into my head right now. And I think it's because of this trying to distinguish between courage and stupidity or courage and selfishness, whatever it is that we want to do. And I'm wondering if like the definition of safety and there's so much around where is, what is the difference between safety and confinement? Mm-hmm. And um, maybe you're acting out of a risk of uh, out of a place of not wanting to be confined and how do you weigh how do you weigh up the pros and the cons between the safety of being confined and breaking away from that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I just sort of I'm thinking of um, how do you and it's not only safety the physical safety it's actually how do you keep your soul um, in a place that still makes you feel whole and respected. And mm-hmm. I, I actually don't know the answer to that. I, I think, you know, bringing up safety and, and just having thought back to how many silly things I did and how many potentially unsafe situations I got myself into, I have to think there is something larger than me looking out for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think if anything, that's what this journey taught me and even getting lost and I don't know how I found my way back again Mm -hmm. I have to believe there's something larger than me because if it was just me I would have been 
crumpled up in a little heap somewhere at this mm-hmm. point. But it opens the question of what keeps us safe. Yeah. I, and I, I mean, in my case, I feel really lucky to have a lot of people around me who point out things that needed to be point out, pointed mm-hmm. out to me. Mm-hmm. And I have to, I have to, and I, I do believe that the people around me often know, have my best interests at heart more so than I do. <laughs> um, so what I, what I note in, in the way that you were talking is that the, uh, the process of the pilgrimage is physical, yes, mm-hmm. and uh, it, um, it places uh, placed you in a position where danger was obvious and you you needed to pay attention. Uh, and if we don't pay attention, we can suffer more. But the pilgrimage isn't uh, a phys- really the physical process that we think it is, that it's a spiritual, spiritual one, where if you put yourself in a place of um, respect, and uh, you look inside to evaluate, uh, as you as you describe, like the, the the degree or the quality of the evaluation shifts, and something else uh, tra- can transpire. We don't know. We might, um, and that that drew you, or you spoke about how it 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 guided you in in a very delicate way. And it's difficult to speak to. I'm trying to put words to something that's very very delicate. So the the spiritual journey is what it it turns into as we let go of all the the physical things that are holding us in the box, as you just described, that holds us in in that firm place. We become a little less less bound. So talking about uh, the many experiences you went through, the many fears that you had to meet, and uh, touching on uh, a bigger issue of what happens then when you start coming back into the world? Like, how was that for you? Well, it was really interesting because I did, I had these big intentions and I was going to do this pilgrimage and I was going to hunt down God or whoever it is who's in charge of this and I was going to get these answers to my questions. And of course, none of that happened. So I arrived in um, Santiago and in this beautiful cathedral and I'm waiting for this epiphany and well, nothing happened. <laughs> and then I went to the rocks in Finisterra and I did all the rituals there. I threw my clamshells in the ocean and I burnt letters that I'd carried with me that was going to release all this shame and nothing happened. <laughs> and I was <laughs> I kept thinking, where, when am I going to hear this voice booming from above telling me, you know, giving me direction? And I was sitting on a rock and I had actually taken three letters with me to burn on the pilgrimage and I talk about them in the book so I don't want to talk too much about them now because they were very important in the journey and of course one would not burn at all and wow. <laughs> nothing was going the way it was Kathleen pla- planned to go <laughs> and this woman sat down next to me and I was so annoyed with her because she was you know just intruding in my special moment and she sat down on the rock and I'd actually bumped into her in the cathedral as well and she gave me a shell so a lot of pilgrims they will carry there's the big Camino shell and they attach it to their backpacks because that identifies you as a peregrino a pilgrim 
And so when you're walking through the little villages or when you're going to check in to sleep, it's the the, the Camino shell that says, okay, you're a, pilgr- you're a pilgrim, you are welcome here. And I had this thing about not wanting to have a shell on my backpack. I just don't know what it was. I didn't want to be like everybody else. I didn't have a shell on my backpack. <laughs> and I refused to get a shell on my backpack. And I walked the whole Camino without a shell. And she sat down next to me on the rock and she gave me her shell. And I didn't know what to do because I'm Canadian now and so I'm too polite to say no thank you. <laughs> so I took the shell, being very annoyed with her. And she said to me, you know, it's just a road. There are no answers. It's just a road. It's not a, it's not a, um, a miracle or a, a magic thing. There is no... There's going to be nobody coming down from heaven or from the ocean to tell you what to do. It's just a road. And that's really stayed with me. Um, so I still have her shell. <laughs> oh, nice. That's a lovely story. I, I enjoyed that very much. <laughs> and I actually still don't know her name. So strangers, though. This is yeah. strong because you're talking about meeting people who really have an impact and you've never met them before. It's completely mm-hmm. out of nowhere. And how it had enhanced your journey. She, she touched a, a, a deep reflection of something within can you let's talk a little about the strangers that you meet i i love meeting strangers um but for some reason when i moved on to the second part of the pilgrimage the primitivo i really was adamant that i did not want to walk with anybody i didn't want to speak to anybody i needed to be in my own head and of course the very first day again um i bumped into a man with an enormous backpack in one of the churches I'd just been inside the church to light a candle and he sort of just assumed that he could walk with me and I was really annoyed with him and I tried to lose him a couple of times <laughs> I mean, he just wasn't taking it and I ended up so we, we we walked together and we walked apart a number of times for the last sort of week and I ended up having the most incredible conversations with him about faith oh. and you assume that you're on a Camino. And again, this whole assumption thing, I just assumed that most people who were on the Camino would have some kind of faith. And he was so, he would not even come into the church with me. He said he doesn't believe in God because how can God allow so much sadness and misery on the earth? Um, So he really made me question so much of what I believed and he had very good arguments and I am easily persuaded. So it was, you know, I didn't want to walk with him, but we ended up having, and he's, he's in my book just because he's so impacted so much of, Mm -hmm. of, of what I still think and what I had to go hash over in my head. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We also had a conversation about here returning and your relationship to strangers Um, or to people you don't know and walking on the street. Can you tell us a little bit about how it changed or how it impacted or what's happened since then? Yes, um, I write for this community newspaper, The Beacon, and um, I had written about having conversations with strangers and I've I've actually had two, two really interesting conversations with people who've read The Beacon and 
Um, one man, I was just walking up at, um, I was coming out of Safeway one day and he stopped me in the street and said, he's a retired doctor. And he said, you know, I read your article about strangers and I thought that was really, he said, at first he said, I thought it was really weird. And then I thought it was really interesting. So I thought I would try it. And he said, it's interesting that I see you today because I decided today would be the day I tried it. So I have had three conversations with strangers today. And then he told me where he'd had them and how much he had learned. So he said, I think I'm just going to carry on having conversations with strangers. And that was so lovely to me. And then I bumped into another man who'd read an article and he said, you know, I read everything you read, everything you write, because you have no shame. And I was, I really didn't know what to say because shame is such a big topic for me. And there's so much, I think, shame attached to so many of our lives. Mm -hmm. And then he said to me, you write about things that I wish we could talk about and we don't. And those two conversations have meant so much to me because when I look at what I've done, I sometimes feel like I've done the most silly things and what was I thinking and then what was I thinking, writing about it and letting people read what I've done. And it's just, it's sort of, those two conversations have just made me realize it actually doesn't matter whether there are people out there who think I'm completely ridiculous, mm -hmm. but it is giving other people the opportunity to, um, you know, maybe feel not so silly themselves. I don't know. So let's, let's come back to the book because all this is uh, the process really that you went through and that brought you to writing a book. Now, you didn't know you were writing a book initially. It sounds like mm -hmm. you are just writing. Yeah. And eventually it turns into something um, richer or with a message. So can you tell us a little bit about the message behind your book? Um. And that's something that has been, finding the message was probably my pilgrimage, really, um, when I think about it, because I'd written all the stuff, and at, at, during the book, a number of times, I asked the question, what now? Um, and that has sort of been the theme, you know, if... <sighs> if I've gotten to the end of the Camino and I've done all this and there's still no answer, so what now? Mm -hmm. And I've finally left the safety and security of my home and I'm finally walking on my own and doing this, but what now? You know, what is the meaning of any of it? You know, so what, really? Um, so I think, <laughs> I think, yeah, that, that was, it was a search for, we all want to have, meaningful lives I think I think that's a search that we, we it seems to be we're looking for this thing that is missing that is going to give our lives meaning that's going to make our journey on this earth somewhat worthwhile mm -hmm. I mm -hmm. think certainly that was what is propelling me what what am I able to do um, how can I it doesn't have to be even a big mark but I need to have done something with this life that I've been given mm -hmm. um but I think the book made me realize that it's in the small things that there is meaning in the smallness of my life and in those connections, like those connections with those two strangers and us being able to have a conversation about something as silly as 
talking to strangers. I think to me that has been the message that we look to the big, but in fact maybe we should be looking to the small. I, I don't know. I don't well, know. <laughs> coming back, we only have a few minutes before we close, and I'd like to just uh, um, open or come back to the the title you called it listening with your feet and uh, it serves us really to to come back to the basic grounding of taking one step at a time and journeying uh, making our day our journey uh, and paying attention to the basic grounding that we've been given I'd love you to maybe tell us is there a last story we only have maybe a minute but a, a quick story that speaks uh, to your toes and uh, wh- what what would you like uh, us to consider how would you like to end that I, I do have a story about listening with your feet I was 16 and teaching ballet to a group of five and six year olds and it was chaos if you've ever taught preschoolers um, <laughs> anything you will know it's chaos and I was trying to get them all together we were learning this dance for the recital and one little girl kept saying Miss Lindy Miss Lindy Miss Lindy and I said I'm listening, I'm listening. And she'd say to me, no, you're not listening. And she said, okay, what must I do? She said, you have to listen with your feet. Oh and my. so I stopped and I stood still and I looked at her and I've never forgotten that because, you know, we, we listen, we think we're listening, but until we actually stop, like hook our feet, connect our feet to the ground and just listen with our whole bodies, I think, mm-hmm. I think that that could be the way we can can really connect with people. Um, we don't need our ears. We don't need our minds. We don't need to have opinions or um, judgments. We just need to just slow down and, and stay put, connect and listen. Yeah, I think. I think stay right there. Well, I'm thanking you for your time today, Lindy. It's been an absolute pleasure uh, talking with you about uh, your work on the Camino, your you know your journey, and knowing about your new book. Uh, if you want to just give the basic website or the way of contact for that book. Yes, it's The Common Wife. And you can actually, if you go to my website, and my it's Lindy File, P-F-E-I-L, but you can also go to Lindy Hughes because confusingly I write under my maiden name in in an effort not to embarrass my family so it's lindyhughes.com as well and you can find the book the links all the links to both the book and the writing workshops on my Mm. site perfect thanking you very much this is Denise Richard of fiveblossomgatherings.com thanking our listeners today have a good day Thank you for joining us this week for Five Blossom Radio with Denise Richard. Please tune into our next program. We're live every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Until we speak again, may you have a harmonious week.